0: To do this, I want to answer some questions. I have never in my life preached on stuff that people ask me so many questions about. So, what I'm going to try to do is just take a time out because I want to go back to Romans. There's a lot more in Romans about the gospel of grace. But I want to just sort of try to answer some questions. But first, I want to read some statistics that I gathered this week. And this is what I want to say to you what's wrong with this picture? Of American Christianity this is a this is a snapshot of American Christianity I want to give you okay and here's just a few few uh, facts from this snapshot just put this picture in your mind 18,000 pastors are leaving the ministry every year in the United States there's a rash of prominent and not so prominent church leaders divorcing their wives marrying another woman or another man and going on with their ministry business as usual and being patted on the back by other prominent and not-so-prominent church members. Recently, the man who was considered the father of marriage ministries, well-known in the United States, divorced his wife of over 30 years, I think, and, and married another woman and basically said this, I couldn't live what I taught. That was his excuse. Uh, the divorce rate among Christian couples, and I'm not talking about people in the ministry, I'm talking about just Christian couples, the, the divorce rates among Christian couples in, in America is equal to that of non-Christian couples. Almost one-half of the women being counseled by Crisis Pregnancy Center are Christian women wanting to have an abortion. Just, that's startling, isn't it? 65% to 85% of young Christian teens forsake the faith upon graduation from high school. 65% to 85%. That is just distressing news. There's Now, this is not a statistic. This is just something I see. There's to, a total lack of evangelism amongst Christians. All the evangelism that we have going on in America is program evangelism, basically, where the church has to put on some sort of program to get people to, tell, to go out and tell the world about this Jesus that they're not really excited about. Churches every Sunday morning are filled with people who are overburdened, sad, depressed, overcome by their life. These are Christians. There's a rampant amount of lukewarmness amongst Christians that really have no passion for God, no no real true love for God. They're just barely hanging in there. So my question to you is what's wrong with that picture? There's something bad wrong with Christianity in America, I believe. Bad wrong with Christianity in America, and we need, you know, we need Jesus really bad. And when I say Christianity America, I'm not saying them. I'm saying me. I'm saying us because we're all like the song that we sang, the family's all together. Well, when we talk about Christianity in America, they're all our brothers and sisters. There's something wrong with our family, folks. There's something real wrong with our family. We've got something real wrong with us. But I believe that I, believe I have an answer for what's wrong with us. I'm just going to be so bold to say that. Um look in Hebrews thirteen nine and let me just read that one verse while y'all are looking for that. I want to look for something else. Um Hebrews thirteen nine. So I'm gonna to try to answer some questions about about grace this morning because I believe grace is the answer. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about grace and try to answer questions and comments that people have brought to me about what the Lord, what I've been trying to share. And it says, do not be carried about with uh, various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. Amen? It is good that the heart. Remember I said I feel like the Lord wants our church to be established by grace? not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Well, it doesn't have to be just foods. You know, Paul, not Paul, but whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't really know. Um, You know, they were talking to Jews who, you know, were really involved in their diets. You know, that's sort of what made them right before God. Anything that we do that we believe makes us right before God, whether it be food or Bible reading or anything, prayer, any of those things that we do on our efforts to please God are not the things that establishes us. I believe American Christians are wore out people, wore out from trying to live the Christian life. That's that's what I believe. And I believe that we are not established in grace. That's, that's what I believe our real trouble is, our real issue in America. We're looking for God to bring a revival, and I'm certainly looking for revival. You hear what I'm saying to you? But you see, I've got something in me that I need to discover. And I believe everybody in this room has got something in them that they need to discover. Re- regardless where there's a revival outside of you, in the church or in the wo- wherever, but there's something in you that God wants you to discover. And I believe if we can discover this thing that's in us, then it's going to make a difference. Okay. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about grace, okay? A lot of misunderstanding. In fact, this is what really provoked me is I read an article, and the title of the article was Greasy Grace. And I was offended by that article quite often, although everything he said in the article was right on. It offended me that he'd use a term like that because I don't believe that's a true term, and I believe that's what they call oxymoron. It's just like, you know, it just can't, it doesn't exist. It's sort of like the word that we've used in the past called sloppy agape, there's nothing sloppy about agape, about God's love. Not anything whatsoever. And I believe there's nothing greasy about grace. I believe there's a real misunderstanding in, in the church about what real grace is. And so that's what I want to try to do is address just some basic things about grace this morning. Amen? Amen. Y'all with me? Well, here's here's what the Bible tells us. It, it it gives us a scripture in 1 Peter 4:10. Don't turn there. It's just... But Peter speaks about us being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. And manifold, that word in the Greek, means various in character. Variegated. Everybody know what variegated monkey grass is? I know what it is because I have planted a lot of monkey grass in my life and dug it up and cut it down and tried to make Becky happy. (laughs) But, you know, variegated monkey grass has different colors to it. So it's many-colored. Various forms. All right, there's at least three types of grace in the Bible. The first one is this kind of grace. It's called common grace. This is, this is what Jesus Jesus defined common grace in Matthew 5:45. He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's common grace. Every man, every woman on this earth experiences the grace of God. It's common grace. We all get to have it. And we've had some gr- common grace released to our land recently because we've been in a drought. But that's just that's what, what Jesus said. Was con- he didn't use the word common grace. That's just a word we made up just to sort of explain it. All right, here's another kind of grace, The second kind of grace. It's called saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. So every born-again Christian has experienced saving grace. Right? Just God saved you. You didn't do anything to get saved. In fact, if you tried to do something to get saved, you wouldn't get saved because you don't get, you don't get saved by trying to do anything. You get saved by trusting and believing on, on Christ. That's, that's saving grace. The third kind of grace is a grace that more or less I really feel like God has, is revealing into my life in a greater way, and they may be a fourth or fifth, I don't know. But I know this. This is what I want to call, and I don't know what everybody else calls it, but I, I call it the empowering grace of God. The empowering grace of God. This is Paul described it like this in First Corinthians fifteen. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That's empowering grace. It's, it's the life of God being released in you to do the things that God's called you to do and be the person that God's called you to be. Now, that's the kind of grace I'm talking about. Are you all with me? Now, here's some things that grace is not, because I've gotten some people to sort of try to come after me about, about my message, especially when I've been telling people they don't have to read the Bible, they don't have to pray, they don't have to do this. and some, That's very offensive to the religious mind, may I say. Okay? so here's some things that grace is not number one grace is not a life of passivity because Paul's just talking about that I'm laboring abundantly Paul was a busy guy he was extremely busy it's not a passive lifestyle at all It's a very active lifestyle very doing lifestyle you will read the Bible if you have a revelation of grace you will read a lot bible a lot you will be very active in your church okay because church is really important in God's plan you will be very active in your in your prayer life because prayer is real important in God's God's economy. Grace will cause these things to happen to you. Grace is not an undisciplined life. Okay? It is not undisciplined. You don't just, you know, you don't live a ragged lifestyle. It is very disciplined. Because grace disciplines you. Grace sets your feet in order. It sets you to march into a different drum than everybody else around you. You got that? Grace is not an improved old man. The old man's dead. You can't improve a dead man. I mean, you can go put a wig on him. You know, when I'm dead, you can put a wig on me if you wanted to to make me look good laid up there in the casket, but it ain't going to help none. I'm still just an old dead guy. It's not an improved old... We talked about that. Your old man is dead. He is dead. And buried in who? In Christ. Everybody say in Christ. So we're not trying to improve on the old man. Grace is not in any way deifying man. You know, we're just to make man some special, special thing. All uh, right. This is what's important. Grace is not an instant change in behavior. Grace is not an instant change in behavior. Believe me, it's not. I mean, I feel like God has really spoken grace in my life, but I haven't. I don't have no instant change in behavior. In fact, I'm scared, Lord. <laughs> you know, that's the way I feel sometimes. I'm still scared. This song. Woo, this song here that said. uh He's my pilot. Here's my cries. Well, I'll tell you something. I'm thinking, Lord, you didn't got us into a storm. You got me into a mess here. What are you doing? You know, I want to grab the wheel back from him. You hear what I'm saying to you? So my behavior doesn't necessarily change instantly. Grace is not a formula for self to imitate Christ. Not trying to imitate Christ. Don't even try. That's stupid. <laughs> If you try to imitate Jesus, you're going to fail pretty quick. Probably take me about 33 seconds. Okay? Um, Grace is not dying to self, wiping out our old personality. It is not dying to self. It has nothing to do with dying to self. Grace is not peace through changed circumstances. You got that? Get this, everybody. Your circumstances are not going to change just because you have a revelation of grace. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of my circumstances have gotten worse recently since I had this revelation of grace. It's like, man, what is going on here? And I can tell you some of it. Some of it has to be the enemy. He wants to rob it from you. He wants to challenge you to no end about it, talk you out of it. And grace is not a guarantee that circumstances will ever improve. I'm not preaching a message that your circumstances are ever going to get any better. They may not. I mean, if I'm going to preach that, I better go over to... uh, some of these nations where Christians are being persecuted and start thinking about my theology. Because grace has got to work over there where people are being beaten for the name of Jesus. If it don't work there, it ain't, it ain't, it's not God. You hear that? You see what I'm saying? It's got to work everywhere, even in the dungeons. And the man who had the greatest revelation of grace, besides Christ himself, was Paul who took a beating over it. Um... This is a good one. Great. And I want everybody in the room, I want you to hear this one. Grace is not overlooking or approving sinful behavior. It does not promote license. That's what that guy was trying to say in that our Grace does not promote license to sin. As a matter of fact, it does opposite. Grace will go after sin with a fury because grace despises sin. Because grace knows what sin does to a person. So if you think in any way I've been saying anything about you know it's okay if you go on and sin, when well, you're just so foolish to even think that you're like, you're like the people in the Bible. Where Paul said, "Well, what are we going to say, we're we going to sin that grace would abound." See, that's an old argument. It's an old religious argument. Grace is not a guarantee that emotions will line up consistently with the truth. Your emotions will contradict your revelation. Your emotions, hear me. Your emotions will contradict revelation. It will contradict the truth of grace. Grace will tell you one thing. Your emotions will say, "Ah, oh, it's not true. Because you're living in a world that the Bible has said you've got to live by faith, not by what? Sight. And what happens when we live by sight, our mind is telling us all this stuff and our emotions are listening to our mind, right? And if you're, you know, heck, you know what you're, about your emotions? This is something I'm learning about my emotions. I can imagine stuff that's not even real and my emotions... Get out just like it was real. In other words, I could imagine somebody after me trying to kill me, and my emotions would believe it because in my mind I'm playing through this scenario. That's why people have panic attacks. It's because in their mind they're thinking something that causes panic. Therefore, they start having attacks of panic. They're scared. Their emotions don't know if it's real or not. Their emotion is is taking its cues from their mind. So you can't live by sight in this world on any level. Amen? Are y'all with me? Now let me just tell you a few brief things about what grace is. Okay? Turn to John 1. Take you into the Bible a little bit. I hope I'm answering your questions. And I hope some people are being offended by this message. Actually, I'm thinking, Lord, somebody needs to get offended by it because I don't think you've really preached the real message until you offend. You know? I think that's the truth. Who was that that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that? You haven't preached grace until you've got people mad at you declaring that you're preaching, you know, license to sin or something. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous preacher. Um, John 1, verse 14. Now, these are things that I've learned on a practical level about grace. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before, preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Amen? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, let me just say this, what grace really is. Grace is a person. That's why that term, greasy grace, is an offensive word. Because grace is a perfect... Grace is Jesus. So here's what I have found in my life. This is what I have found, really, to be in the truth. If I'm being tempted to sin, or if I feel overwhelmed or anxious by my circumstances in life, I don't have a formula to go to about grace. And that is so stupid to think that. Because the former never helped. This is what I have. When I feel like I'm being pushed to the limit and feel like, Lord, I am fixing to fall off the edge of this, this cliff, I go to this person, this person named Jesus Christ. Because that is the well, the, the springhead of grace. And whenever we get away, and I don't care what your revelation is in life, when it gets away from that person of Christ, then you your, work, your revelation is basically worthless. And that's the truth. Because He is grace. So this is what I've been telling, you know, I've had one person call me and say, I must not have this revelation. I thought I did, but such and such happened, and I'm just messed up. I'm thinking, no, it's not true. This is what you got to do. you got to go to this person. This person is grace. It's a relationship with Him. It's a life with Him. And if you're trying to make some kind of formula out of it, some steps for right living, nine steps to be successful, ten steps to be a successful Christian, Fourteen steps to be full of grace. That's idiotic. Have we not heard enough of those kinds of teachings in the in the church? And look what they've gotten us. 18,000 pastors a year are bailing out because they can't stand it anymore. And they're the ones who've given the 14 steps and they can't even figure it out. The the father of marriage ministries divorced his wife because he said, I couldn't live my teachings. I mean, that slapped me in the face because I realized I can't either. I can't live my teachings. But I'm not supposed to live my teachings. He is. And see, that's what's wrong with Christianity. Why can't I overcome this sin? Because you're not supposed to overcome your sin. He's supposed to overcome your sin. Let's get off this stupid path we've been on, believing we could do it. And let's give this person, Jesus Christ, that we sang about this morning, sang too, hopefully, Give Him a chance to live His life in us. Give Him a chance! If you don't, you're going to wind up like me because I almost became one of those 18,000 pastors. I mean, I was that close. I was looking for a nice way to get out. A good excuse. God, give me something that I can say and you know, make everybody believe this is God. And I'm not supposed to be in the ministry no more. It's the truth. I mean, you know, I told the kids the other day, listen, I'm a fake. I am a fake. Don't believe me, because I am a fake. I can't live nothing I've ever preached. I can't. I can't do it. I'm a fake. I'm a big, fat, phony. That's all I am. Arthur Burke said this. What did he say? He came here and gave a word to us. We should have heard that word. He said, what you want people to think you are is a lie. Who you think you are is a lie, and who you are is a liar. So I want to stand up. I'm embracing that. I'm a liar. That's all I am. That's all I, Byron Wicker, am. But I'll tell you something. I've taken on Paul's revelation, (laughs) okay? And his revelation is this. It's no longer I, but Christ. You see what I'm saying? That sets me free, I can allow Christ now to live His life in me and through me. And that sets Byron Wicker free. I don't have to overcome the sin. It's not up to me. It's up to this person. All I have to do is go to this person, this person is in me. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a, a drug problem, if you've got a, a pornography problem, if you've got a lust problem, whatever it is this morning, there's a person in you, if you're truly born again, who is not concerned about lust or about pornography. None of that stuff has, a, has an ounce on him. Because the Bible says the devil, Jesus said the devil's coming, he don't have no ground in me. And he doesn't have any, the Jesus in me, he still don't have any ground of sin in me. And if I will turn over the reins and let this man, Jesus Christ, who is in me, by his spirit, if I will let him live his life, then pornography, lust, drugs, you know, name it, whatever your deal is, being a bad, having a bad attitude, being critical, being judgmental, pointing to the finger all these terrible things that Christians do, they're not a problem because it's Him. And He's not going to point His finger. He's not going to get drunk. He's not going to get high. Turn to John 5. Do you all see what I'm saying? This is the message of grace. This is when I'm talking about grace. I am not talking about a license to sin. I'm talking about getting free from it because this man is able to get you free. Remember last week I said, the spirit lusts against the flesh. It's not my job to fight the flesh. It's the spirit's job. And if I will turn control of my life over to the spirit, he takes over, and he deals with the fleshly desires. I don't have to deal with them. He deals with them. My job is to let him, let go, and let God. I know I've said some of this over, but I can say it. I can say it for a hundred years. I think I really do. Uh, John five verse thirty nine. This is what Jesus said. This is powerful. This is a powerful scripture. I better get moving here now. (laughs) You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You are not willing to come to me that you may have. You want life? Do you really want life? I'm talking about real life. I'm not talking about this old crummy life that we think is real. I'm talking about the abundant life that Jesus talked about. I'm talking about joy unspeakable. I'm talking about an overflow in your life, living waters flowing out of you. You really want that? Well, you will not find that in the Bible, I hate to say. You will not find that in the church. You will not find that in anything you thought you was going to... You will not find it in the revival because the revival will come to an end. It's been proven all through history. They come and go. They're meant to. They're just meant to try to grab a bunch of knuckleheads like us and... Wake us up, you know? But you will find it in this person. You will find it in this person called Jesus. That's where real life is found. Are you with me? You make that person Lord. Make Him Lord and see what happens. When trouble comes, run to Him. Don't run to your revelation. You hear what I'm saying to you? When you're in a deal that you can't deal with, you realize, I can't deal with it. I'm finding Him. And I'm going to say to him, I can't do it, Jesus. And he's saying, of course you can't do it. I don't expect you to do it. Will you let me do it? Which means he might drag you through all briars to get there. It's like I was seeing that phone. The pilot, and I was saying, I need to get a hold of this wheel. He is led me down about and the boat's sinking and he's, in, and he's in control. It's like, what are you doing, Jesus, to me? The boat's sinking, Jesus. Don't you understand? What's wrong with you? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, that's what will happen. You think what is wrong with this man? I thought he was God and knew what he was doing. He has ruined my situation here. They're going to kill me. And what happens is we run over there and knock him out of the way and grab the wheel and get, get it what we think is in smooth water, but really we get it over there into them stale, dead waters that stink. And we don't realize there's a big hole when we're sinking and we're getting down there in them stale, dead. And there's a big old sewer pipe Ugly stuff coming out. You're fixing to be in. Turn over to Colossians. Colossians. I I, Well, forget it. If I'm not answering your questions, that's all right. I want to read this to you and tell you just a couple things. Colossians chapter three. Okay, I'm going to read verse one through four. Ooh, thank you, Lord. That worship was really good this morning, wasn't it? You know why it was good? You know why the worship was good to me? It wasn't because of how good the music was or how bad the music was, or how loud it was, how low it was. It was good because of the Lord. Because I thought, man, I'm really enjoying Jesus in here this morning. You know, whether anybody else is or not, really wasn't even a thought. I hope everybody really, I hope the worship team does good. I hope they have an anointing. All that thinking is just stinking thinking. Verse 1, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. All right, this is really important. Number 2, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. A while ago when I was talking about your mind, you set your mind on distressful things, you are going to become very distressful. But if you will set your mind on, on things above, on the things of God, whatever those things may be, and the things of God can be very practical, everyday things, but if you'll set your mind on those things, your emotions can't run wild. This, it's a guard to you. For you died. Everybody say, I died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. All right, Here's something. I've got this threefold thing that I feel like the Lord showed me. One third is this: Jesus is Savior. Isn't that wonderful? That is absolutely wonderful. We believe in Him, we trust Him, we do nothing. That's one third of the gospel. One third of it, okay? Two thirds: Jesus is Lord. That's two. Th- I'm gonna tell you that's two thirds. I used to think that was it: Savior and Lord. That's the deal. That's the way it is. But here's what's happened to us: If you only got a two-thirds revelation of the gospel. Your Christian life has become more like a job than a relationship. Jesus is like our boss, okay? That's a two-third relationship. we got this job being a Christian. That's the way most Christians are. we got this job that's wearing us out. We're trying to please our boss, Jesus. Okay, and I'm not denying Jesus is not the boss. I mean, He's the ultimate boss. He's in control. He's, you know, He's the master, right? He is the master, he is the Savior. So, But we've got this master concept. We've got to make Jesus happy. We've got to slave away, just like the prodigal son's brother. Elder. I've been working for you all these years, and you never threw me a party. That's what he said in Luke 15. So we got this attitude towards Jesus like that, like our Christian life's a job. You know, who needs another job? Anybody need another job? If you need a job this morning, I do not recommend you take the job of, of being a Christian. It's a bad job. There's no end to it. You know what I'm saying? And there's no pay in it. There's zero pay. You don't even get money for it. That's two-thirds of the gospel. The three-thirds of this is Jesus being our life, being our very life. And I'll tell you, if you can come to the revelation that Jesus is your life, then he's going to be your Lord. He's going to be your Savior. As Arthur Burton had used to teach us when we were young Christians over and over, the greater includes the lesser, but the lesser doesn't include the greater. Just because He's your Savior may not necessarily mean He's really your Lord. He should be, and I know there's debate about it, but I don't want to get into all that right now. And just because He's your Lord doesn't mean He's your life. You see what I'm saying? But if we can say, Lord, I want You to be my life, I want to get everything from You, the way You designed it back in the garden when You built man, to live from the tree of life, not from this other tree. And we lived our life like that until we ate the other tree, and when then we became self-activated, and we became like Mary. But all of us became like Mary. Stephan, focus on ourself. Mad at everybody else. Why that arrogant Byron Wicker didn't speak to me this morning? What's wrong with him? You know. And that's what eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil does to you. It puts your focus on you. And when you put your focus on you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get messed up, and then you're going to start blaming everybody else for your trouble. Well, at work, they're messed up. Well, you know, it's the people at church. It's that stupid pastor. You know? It's them doggone crummy leaders in the church. It's the choir. It's the worship team. It's the Sunday school teacher. You're forever looking for somebody to blame for your trouble. And that's what living from yourself does to you. Are y'all with me? So if we can let Him be our life, the way He designed it, and start eating from Him again, our lives will change. We'll be different people like Mary. Mary is starting to eat from the tree of life, and she's finding out something. And God is showing how wonderful He really is. Are y'all got that? So we need to just stop all this Jesus, Savior, and Lord. We need to say, Jesus, we we want you to be our Lord. We want you to be our Savior. But we really want you to be our life. That's the way it really is meant to be. We don't work for you, Jesus. You're our life. Y'all got that? All right. this is the last scripture. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Anyways, I meant to try to answer people's questions. But second Corinthians eleven verse one. This is Paul again